Welcome, welcome, welcome to episode 22 of the Unweaving Chronic Pain Podcast. This is a super special episode because it is my very first interview, and I have the amazing Dr. Tawny Cross with me today. And also, as always, do not use this as medical advice. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I always have to throw that in there. So I actually found um, Dr. Tawny's Instagram, gosh, I don't know, like months ago. And I just loved her post. She cracked me up. She had me at her like poop and fart jokes. I'm like, done to <laughs> be best friends. Um, and she should probably talk about what she talks about. She is also a doctor of physical therapy and I'll let her introduce herself in a second here, but she really, um, just touches on the, is like very trauma informed, really gets into the pain science um, aspects. And I just loved her humor, the way she approached it, the way she talked about things. So I just thought it'd be really, really cool to have her on the podcast to share how she, you know, she works with people, how she approaches pain science and yeah, and whatever, whatever else comes up in this conversation. So we're just going to have fun today. So yeah. Tawny, do you want to go ahead and introduce yourself a little bit more? Yeah. Um, and thank you for having me, Dr. Andrea Moore. Um, and you can call me Tawny um, for anybody who ever like just bumps into me. Um, um, but yeah, I've been working as a physical therapist for nearly a decade now. Most of my practice has been in the VA hospital where I work. And I do have a pretty comprehensive practice. I function there as a chronic pain specialist. So I deal a lot with people who've gone through PT, OT, Cairo, acupuncture, and they've not made any gains. Um, and through my practice, I've had to actually become quite integrative. So I have a lot of things to do what I do, including nutrition, which I think um, uh, Andrea and I might share also some nutrition background with uh, Joe Tata, Dr. Joe Tata. I actually haven't taken his course. I'm a functional uh, nutritional therapist. Oh, gosh, gotcha. yeah, never so mind. It's okay. different. I know his, his course looks awesome. Though, so. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I think that there might be some, you, you are also familiar with him, but anyway, yeah. um, so there's, there's a uh, hypnosis, guided imagery, mindfulness, among other types of practices. Um, a lot of my um, veterans do have trauma in their background. Um, and that is for specific reasons, because trauma does play hugely into chronic pain. So I've had to um, become more and more practice in becoming trauma sensitive as a result. Um, a lot of them are women um, with military sexual trauma. Um, and I recently this year started my own business to be able to better reach those that um, do not have access to the VA so that I could share my expertise elsewhere. Mm, so celebrating you taking that step for yourself. That's like so freaking awesome. And yeah. <laughs> your, your patients at the VA are so, so lucky to have you with your just like very, very robust background. And I love what you said. It's funny. We have a lot of similarities because I've been doing it for about a decade as well. And I just love what you said of just like having to kind of learn like with them as you went. So yeah. can, can you speak to that a little bit more of like what... I don't know, was there anything that caught, caught you off guard when first like working with this population? <laughs> <laughs> so much, because like, you know, when, you, when you're in physical therapy school for, for people that haven't gone through it, you're, you get trained heavily on biomechanics on like, you know, this is the exercise if they're weak, blah, blah, blah. So, you're, so you get very buried in what they call tissue stuff. Um, and so when I, when I walked into the VA as, as a new, um, employee, I was like, okay, I got this. I know how to, how to solve people's pain. Um, and the ortho stuff is actually fairly straightforward in my opinion. 
it's like when, when it's cut and dry, when it's very tissue based, um, it takes only a few visits and then people are done. But with the military population, it just isn't that case because so many of them have gone through combat. Um, not all of them, I mean, some of them are more on the administrative side, um, but they do have so many things that they're exposed to um, that give them that trauma background um, and end up making it so that after their tissues have healed, um, their chronic pain continues to live on. Yeah. Yes. And so well said just about like the orthopedic stuff. It is really straightforward. I, for whatever reason, like not working, I was just always in an outpatient clinic, just attracted chronic pain patients. <laughs> and I was like, am I a terrible therapist? Because like everyone's just like, do you discharging people left and right. I'm like, oh my gosh. And I like remember that. I mean, this was actually probably just a couple of years ago getting this guy and he had switched. He wasn't supposed to be on my schedule because for whatever reason, not that anybody knew this, it was just, they always landed on my schedule. And I get this guy and I'm like evaling him. And I'm like, like going, I'm like getting, making things so complicated in my head. And I'm like, I think you might just need to do a calf stretch. And he's like, <laughs> what? And he's like, and I just like assumed he had already tried that and done that, right? Because everyone I work with has already like tried everything. And he's like, no, I've never seen that before. And I like showed him a calf stretch. He's like, oh my gosh, that feels so much better. I was like, oh, yeah, therapist get to deal with this is so much easier, but also boring. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I like love dealing with the complexities. And um, yeah, so it's just so funny, just the the difference, I guess, and how ill-prepared physical therapy school makes you for this population. It really, yeah, it really is. Cause you feel like, you know, I'm sure you felt this too. You feel like you fail as, yeah. as a PT. You're just like, why are these people not getting better? And I think I've, I've talked to some of the people about it. It's, it's either you become the sort of person that just excuses the fact that these people aren't getting better. And you're like, okay, it's just cause they're not doing their exercises or because like, you know, like you're, you're making it, you're pushing, shifting the blame on the people themselves rather than like, and then sometimes, or you're internalizing, you're like, I might, I might be the worst therapist ever. Um, and neither of those things are true. And, and so it, it comes down to like, okay, do I evolve and see what, what can become better, what I can change, what I can learn more, what these people can learn more um, about chronic pain. And that was what the path I chose. Yes, that was also the path I chose. And yeah, it's unfortunate um, when you see what you were talking about, especially the, the first part where the, the blame gets shifted to the patient. And mm-hmm. I think that's really important to acknowledge because I think a lot of people listening have been to physical therapists that this, usually I don't think it's a conscious thing. I think it's, it's a way to deflect, right? It's because people have so much trouble looking inwards and don't know how to do that because the alternative is what, the second thing of what you said of, oh, I must be the worst therapist. So for a therapist who doesn't know there's another path, it's kind of easier to deflect. Oh yeah. <laughs> and yeah, so if you've ever been to a, a physical therapist and it's been like, okay, you're just not doing it right. Or they get like really nitpicky with movements and it feels like no matter what you do, you're just not doing the movement right. Part of that might not be that you're doing anything wrong. It's just one, the therapist doesn't have another option. They're using the tools that they were taught mm-hmm. and, and trying to do like, trying so hard to do the best with their tools and just letting you know, it's not your fault. <laughs> um, yeah. Dear listener, if that has uh, happened to you, because ultimately the body is designed to move and yes, movement patterns are important and often things there's just, it's more complex of what can alter that. Um, if you're having to fine tune a movement where you're having to like 
think through so detailed just to like, you know, move one joint, there's often something else that's going on that's altering the movement in the first place, kind of like taking a big step back. So yeah, I think that's a good point to make, Andrea, because I think people get buried in this idea that I that I can't bend forward and touch my toes because I'm doing it wrong. I'm like, you are, your body is designed to do that, right? And yes. and I think having that reassurance that the, the small things that you do all the time, you know you're doing correctly, whether it looks different from somebody else's. And it doesn't mean it's because you're doing it wrong that, that it's hurting. Yeah, so let's talk a little bit. That's like a perfect um, segue into like, let's talk a, bit, a little bit about why that could be hurting. Like if somebody is bending forward, and they're not doing it wrong, but it's definitely hurting. They're like, but Johnny, it hurts. What do you mean I'm not doing it wrong? That must be the only thing. What else like could be going on that could be causing that pain? Yeah, um, so for, for most people, there needs to be a little bit of education on helping them understand that body first, right? It's just like, because yeah. they're, they're gonna say, no, 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 it hurts, so I won't, so I won't do it. Um, so what I love to do, I think is, I start with de-education <laughs> yes. because I, I think I know that there's different approaches to when people start to give pain education. Um, and I have found that if you start off with, with this position of like, I just want to let you know, like there are a lot of holes in, and I, and I always say collectively our, our pain models, right. Cause nobody wants to be like, you're, you're, and you're thinking you're, yes. <laughs> your holes are there. Um, and they're like, okay. And I was like, would you be open to fight if I share with you why we have these holes? Um, and so I'll de-educate by saying, okay, you found, uh, you've, have you ever found like a, a scratch or a bruise on your, on your body? And you're just like, where did this come from? And they're like, yeah, yeah. Or most people, there's, there's maybe one or two floaters that every so often I'm like, no. <laughs> um, and then I'll be like, isn't that weird? And they're like, yeah, that is super weird. And then I'll be like, okay, so now I'm going to volunteer you the idea that a, almost half of the population have like deep tissue stuff. We're talking like rotator cuff tears, herniated discs, whatever. And they have no pain. And it's like, again, I emphasize it's like half the population. So it's a little better than a coin flip. So, and they're like, whoa, okay, wait, that's, that's weird. I'm like, yes. Yeah. So if we, if we are not better than the coin flip in our diagnosis and we're just keep on associating tissues with, with pain, something's wrong there. And this includes most medical doctors. So people need to know that too, is that medical doctors continue to operate um, and other professionals that, that have not yet been, I think, updated on their pain research, um, continue to operate with the idea that it's gotta be more tissue heavy stuff. Um, but if you're operating from a broken model, then that's not going to work. It's not going to serve you. Um, so then I, I start to shift towards a new pain model, which I think a lot of your viewers might know a little bit about already. Um, and it's just the fact that pain itself is 100% of the time a protective signal. Yes, you feel it in the body. And yes, it's always real. But it's always produced by the brain, depending on what the brain is alarmed by. And the brain can be threatened by physical things as well as non-physical things. And, and that's how I introduce it. And they're like, oh, that makes a lot of sense because then they start to pull in kind of their own, um, like their own life. Like, yeah, I do notice that when weather or like when stress occurs, then I have more physical pain. I'm like, yes. And does that tell you that your tissues are broken? They're like, no, I used to think about it like arthritis. I'm like, yeah, but yeah. <laughs> so that's, that's, how, that's how I think I always pitch it in the beginning. Um, and for the most part, I think it's pretty well accepted when you start to help people see those, those holes and uh, just a collective 
breaking down of our old understandings of pain. Yes. Oh, I love that. Just simplicity there too. And yeah, it's so, it's so great when people can pull from their own experience of like, oh yeah, wait, this doesn't quite make sense. Mm -hmm. And, and just to acknowledge for everyone, like this new model that Tani is talking about and that I teach as well is, is, is new. (laughs) Like it is in the past, like what, like 10, 20, 20 years maybe. And it takes what, like, I think it's like on average, like 17 years for something to go from research to like, well accepted. Mm -hmm. So we are seeing a slow shift, but the reason your doctor doesn't know this, the reason why everyone is touting the old model isn't because it's because that's what they were taught. They haven't been updated and especially orthopedic surgeons and stuff. It's like their specialty surgery. They're not, their specialty isn't chronic pain. So they're not going and diving into the research there. And I mean, or, you know, that's a good thing. You'd hope they'd be researching new surgeries and how to do their procedures really well, right? Like there's constantly research that's coming out. So um, yeah, that's why your doctor probably doesn't know about this or even your physical therapist, because it's just not taught it and you are slowly seeing it more and more. Um, so that's, that's all good. Now I do want to ask you, so a lot of times what I find is that people get it. They're like, okay, great. Pain's not, you know, pain's created in my brain. Okay, I can see where it's related to stress, but I still freaking hurt. (laughs) That doesn't change my pain levels. I'm still in pain. I still can't go do what I want. Um, So I'm curious then, like, what's your next approach past that? Yeah, so I, I kind of think about it in different levels. I do like to start with the education for the reason because mm-hmm. if if I just jump into the other stuff, they're like, well, why am I even doing this? Yes. So there's the why this is important for you to know. And then after people start to reflect on their life on like, okay, how does this make sense for them? Then I start to move into the how. Um, and I, I, I like to approach things fairly slowly because there's so many layers you could work on and all of it affects um, another. Um, most of what you and I work on are probably trauma heavy. Um, so there's probably a, a bigger reason why we would go there. But um, I, I generally start with movement or I, I start with having people volunteer to me what they're interested in visiting. They're like, okay, so I've tried all these things. Um, how, like, what, what, what can I do next? And, and I'll give, I'll pitch them like, so if you want to work on movement, cause like you're scared of doing this, this is what we can focus on. And we, what we're working on here is basically retraining the system to understand that that movement isn't scary and harmful. And I, I always like to bring in the Lorimer Mosley story with the snake. That's oh, like my gosh, favorite yeah. one. Such a good one. Oh, such a good one. And for people that don't <laughs> know it. Feel free to tell it. Yeah, I don't yeah. think I told it on this podcast, so go for it. <laughs> yeah, uh, for people that don't know it. Um, so Laura Mermosi is a well-known pain scientist. He's actually one of like the head honchos, I think, in my opinion, <laughs> of the pain world. Um, he's Australian and he was he was hiking. And as he was hiking, he um, he felt a, a scratch on his ankle. And he's like, oh, it's just a twig. And he keeps walking. And as he as he walks, he passes out eventually because it's a snake bite. And it apparently it was a very poisonous snake that only, you know, however percentage of the population survive it, but he was hospitalized for a while. And then he did heal because he was telling the story um, and he was back out again, hiking. And this time as he's walking with a friend, he, he feels a scratch again on his ankle. And he's like, my system lit up with pain. I was screaming. It was like 10 out of 10. I was on fire. And my friend was like, okay, that one was literally a twig. <laughs> <laughs> and what what happens though is because the brain learns in three main ways experience association repetition and the experience of that twig before the snake bite was associated with just a scratch 
So he just felt a scratch and the brain was like, oh, that's just a twig. But now this experience is associated with a life-threatening event. He almost died. And um, if you almost die, your brain can't just let that scratching sensation escape it. It's going to be like, no, no, remember, you almost died when this happened. And so it produced pain so that it could properly alarm him. So for him to unlearn that pain sensation um, or teach the brain that it doesn't need to produce pain along with that scratching sensation, he almost needs to work through some desensitization portions where, where he's, he takes a twig and he repeatedly scratches that area like, hey, this is a twig, this is a twig, this is, a twig. This is safe to feel, it's no longer a snake. And that's a way, a good way of thinking through desensitization if you're looking through movement is you're just retraining that system. Yes, it feels like pulling. Yes, it might feel sharp. Yes, it might feel achy, but this is safe. It's not gonna explode your discs out of your back. It's not gonna, your head's not gonna fall off if you bring your head backwards. It's still connected by so many um, tissues, ligaments, whatever else. And that is what you're working on with movement is you're kind of recoaching the system that it no longer needs to be in that alarmed state. Um, so that's the movement portion. Um, I, I, I like to give a little bit of time, maybe like one, after the first visit or two, um, before I start to delve into um, some of the, the emotional and psychological stuff, um, which I'm going to rehearse again, the brain can respond to and produce physical pain. Um, and it's all real is, is because it becomes kind of delicate sometimes like people either are, they've tried it before because they've gone through um, like mental health and it, it was too overwhelming, it scared them off um, or they, they keep on hearing that it's in their head. So, so there's, I offer it to them in that first session, especially if they seem to have received that message well of like what pain is. Um, I'm like, okay, do you wanna try this? This is how I would do it. Um, there's, there's some nutrition stuff involved because obviously you know, like our system is affected. So I, I kind of pitch out different layers. I'm like, now, how would you like to approach this? Because um, the more collaborative I can be, the more I think I have, I have someone that is like excited about the plan because they're working with me on it versus me just making like recommendations. Yes, yes. And I think that like collaboration is so important and like, so like I can tell you're like making sure their nervous system feels okay with the next step. And I think that's, mm -hmm so important sometimes like especially since a lot of people with chronic pain have had a lot of bad experiences a lot of times like the, where I'm taking it it's like we're going like way way back to where their nervous system can be like okay can we just you know even talk about back or can we even just you know say the word back or whatever yeah. it might be it's like what however far back you need to go and Sometimes, a lot of times when you're working with trauma and they're working in the body, I usually won't even, I mean, not touch because I'm not, I'm, I'm virtual, so I'm not physically touching people, but like, I, we won't even talk about their actual area of pain until way later. Cause it's like, there's just like layer upon layer upon layer. Mm -hmm. So like, we never dive right into like where like it's like let's say they're coming to me for hip pain we're not like all right let's go and let's like learn about the hip pain it's like whoa, whoa we are stepping way back to figure out like where's the area that's like it, it kind of lights your system up just like enough but enough that you can hang with it and if it's lighting your system up so much where you're like flooded with emotion like flooded with sensation that is just too much to handle like you've gone too far <laughs> so it's like back up like titrate out like just and, and the cool thing is, is you can always bring yourself back out too mm -hmm. and then if you're working with someone let them know like, like whoa that flooded my system 
Yeah. Yeah. Sure. You are flooding your system um, with emotion or let's say someone is, and, and I, I've done this too, right? Like I try go somewhere and it unexpectedly floods someone's system. Like it's going to happen. Like that is, that just happens when you're, yeah. when you're playing with stuff. And when that happens, making sure you're letting the therapist know, letting the practitioner know that you're working with, because anytime you're flooding it, it is in a way re-traumatizing the system. It's mm-hmm. not helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, it is not necessarily like some horrible thing if it happens. It's just like, oh, oh, look, this has happened. Let's back out. Mm-hmm. And um, I think there's so many, there's this expectation. I don't know if it's from like movies or what. I mean, I even have it myself of this like huge cathartic breakthrough moment, right? Of like, mm-hmm. oh, I just like cry. And I like to talk about this with my therapist. And then like, I have this massive breakthrough and like, everything's good. Mm-hmm. And it's like, eh, it doesn't really yeah. Yeah. I, I think, <laughs> yeah, I think that's so important to, to it. Everything is kind of graded. Like there's, and they, maybe it is from movies or whatever else. Like, I remember I had like a family member that went to see a therapist. She's like, I was like, how'd it go? And they're like, I just, I shared everything I need to share. And I felt so good afterwards. I'm like, oh, that's it. That one time visit and you're healed. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, so it's kind of silly, the expectations that we bring into it. And I think that that itself is something to be aware of but um with regard to that graded exposure piece um I I think I also like people to know just it it can be let me me bring an example in I had one patient of mine who came in who had knee pain and he had PT for like 20 years or so and he was a young guy too and he I just said you know what let's not even let's not even move the knee right now I just want you to imagine for a second moving the knee and he, he started tearing up. He's like, why does that hurt so badly? And I think I like people to know that that's just how important it is to see that certain physical areas, even if you're not moving the joint itself, it carries such emotional weight with you. Um, and like, again, you can produce physical pain, even when you're just imagining things, because that's what the brain is going to control of. But like seeing just how strong that tie is just means how deeply buried it is and married with like the trauma that you have or the emotional stuff, the junk that we're carrying around with us. Um, so grading that exposure is important because you, you know, you don't, you don't learn a language in a day. You don't learn to run a marathon in a day. You don't have to make drastic improvement right from the get-go. It's, it's kind of, it's yeah. Allow the time to heal. Everything. Yes. 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 And especially if you're someone who's been, finding ways to like work around your pain a lot and have kind of like, I'll work with some people who it's like, everything's kind of managed, but their life just keeps shrinking because in order to manage their symptoms, they have to just keep doing less and less and less. And eventually it gets to the point where it's like, you just can't shrink down anymore or it's just not enjoyable because you're not living the life that you wanted to live. And yes, it's going to take time to also grow that back out. And like, let's acknowledge that it's also hard. (laughs) Like this is, it's going to get uncomfortable. And what I always ask people, it's like, either way, you're going to be in discomfort, either from your life shrinking down from just the pain itself, or the discomfort can come from really working into these like deeper places, like working into the trauma and, and working to heal it, which is really uncomfortable. And ultimately on the other side of that, your world can open. Yeah. up again. And I love what I loved about your account and everything like that is just how you bring the humor into it. Because while 
trauma and pain are like such dark topics, like they can also be really fun and funny. And like, you can bring humor in the moment of healing. Like it can be funny, the stuff that sometimes comes up. Like I'll have some, gosh, I remember one time being in like a somatic session where I had a coach and it was like the darkest freaking feeling ever. Like I can't even <laughs> remember what it was. And I just like bust out laughing because it was so funny. Like image that was like coming to my mind. I was like, what the hell? It was like the most, it's like I was crying and laughing and like, but a lot of that was taught because I also use a lot of humor, like in the moment of not making it so scary. So mm-hmm. I'd love you to like touch on that piece of like humor and how you bring it in. And like <laughs> yeah, so I actually, I love that you said that because, because I think that most people's go-to is, is the idea that when you're laughing and you're making it less scary, which is important because you do want to make it less scary. So you're already, people already carry that ability in themselves to be able to make something dark lighter. And you see that also like in movies too, like when it's in a really dark situation, they like lighten it up with that. Um, I think there's so many layers to humor that, that I, I feel like people don't necessarily appreciate like what it is about humor that's so powerful. You know, there's like the scientific stuff of like what it does to your body chemically and all that stuff too. But like, number one thing is like for trauma, it helps people connect in, in ways that um, I don't think they, they intend to, but it's like, you know, when they come in and if, if someone who, who's really laden down with trauma, they, they don't, they can't look at you. They can't like, they don't feel safe around you. If you're using humor and you actually make them laugh or they see the humor part of it, that's them making a connection with you. You can't laugh at something if you don't understand what it is, if you can't connect with it is. So you're starting to break down some of that, that a little bit just because you're, you're drawing them into the session and helping them like laugh, lighten up the mood as well as open up the cracks of like how they see how you're connecting with them. So that's number one is I make a lot of jokes as much as I can. I try to be sensitive to like what kind of jokes I'm making, obviously, because um, I don't want to want to unintentionally make it feel too like I'm not taking them seriously kind of thing. But I do think that there's such an important part of like making that connection using humor. Um, and then also, to some extent, um, I think for the people that that can't see it, that can't feel it at all there. I think about this one guy in particular like day one, he was like, he's like this, I'm fine. And just like totally, uh, they call it flat affect for the people that don't know what that is. Um, and I, at some point in time, I was like, Hey, have you like, when's the last time you smiled or laughed? This was actually two or three sessions in. Cause I didn't, I don't think it was appropriate for him to, to experience the lightness at the beginning. He's like, honestly, I can't even remember the last time I did that. And I was like, what makes you laugh? And so his homework was actually to take take some time and start looking at things that would make him laugh. Like just find, find some comedy show and tell me a joke next time you come in. And over the course of our time, he, he started to make again, small gradual progress um, where he started smiling and he started joking around with me. And he's like, I really enjoy my sessions here. And that itself is huge. Like it's, it, it's growth because you're taking someone who's numb, who, who hasn't allowed himself to feel anything but like darkness for a while and you're moving him to a place where he's starting to connect and be with somebody else and even if it's not directly pain related although he did surprise me and tell, told me that his pain was actually improving even though we weren't working on it directly um that there can be there it can be it could come as homework it can come as a connection um and then and it can come purely as making that 
things that you're visiting lighter. And with, um, I think a good example too is with hypnosis. Like if you're taking people in through hypnosis, especially if you're walking down trauma, it's actually very important to bring, bring people in and out of it. Um, so if they're, especially if they're not able to ground themselves well, and they go through like um, an adverse like event with a flashback or something, um, bringing people in and out can help them ground themselves as well as be able to lighten the situation. So there's, there's just so many things about humor that I love. Plus I love to laugh. So <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I love what you said about how his pain got better, even though that's not what you were directly working on. And I think that like, oh my gosh, I just love that so much. Cause I think it so speaks to the importance of like what we're also focusing on, right? Like if we are focusing on and like you're going into sessions of like, I need to fix my pain and pain, pain, pain. And that's the focus. Pain's probably not going to get better. Cause your brain's like pain Yeah, <laughs> and like, I, that's all I'm hearing, you know, versus focusing on like shift. And like, that's a lot of what I work on my client is like shifting into joy and things that I love that idea of just like, go watch comedy shows. Like what is making you laugh? Like, what is it that you want more of in your life? And how can you start doing that right now today? Mm-hmm. Might be just watching a video of someone else doing it. I don't, you know what I mean? Like whatever it is, it's like start bringing it in in any way alongside your pain mm-hmm. and having that be the focus of just like experiencing whether it's laughter or whether it's just family time or, or nature, whatever it is, like how can you experience it right now in the tiniest little baby set, just like 1% more experiencing of it. And um, <clears throat> oftentimes when that is becomes the focus, pain will just naturally kind of organically on its own start to diminish and it's funny because a lot of people won't even realize it until you kind of you know check in with them and they're like oh yeah you know not I'm at like a five out of ten I don't think my pain's gotten any better and you're like dude you started at an eight out of ten like this is great yeah <laughs> and it's almost just happened so in the background so it's just yeah and I think that's a good point too that what you just made with like they said it's not getting any better um not this is this is maybe to some extent a shameless plug-in but just like the fact that you working like patients working people clients working people is so important for that reason because while you may be the most brilliant person and well-researched and knowledgeable about this stuff it is really hard for you to look at your own blind spots and having someone point those out to you um, is invaluable for your growth Yes. And that's not, yeah, it is. It's a good plug-in for yeah. like why, why you should work with a practitioner because true, like I, I'm sure, I don't know what your like exact story is and stuff like that, but like personally, I, you know, teach people how to do somatic work. That is such a massive part is like, I want them to be like experts on doing it to themselves. And so I know how to do it really well. And I still have a coach. I still have someone that brings it me through these things because I can't do it. Like, yeah, sure. I can do a lot myself and I can tell where I'm like, yeah, there's something here that either I'm sure either. I know, like I actually just hired another coach recently. I knew exactly what my issue was. I knew exactly like what, what patterns I needed to work on. And I was like, here's what we're going to work on. Do, 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 do. And he was like, okay, well, hello. We just like saved five sessions. I'm like, yeah, I know, but I can't do it myself. Like I, every time I like sit down to do this work, I like my nervous system breaks out. Like I just need someone to hold space for me mm-hmm. and, and, you know, guide me through this and give me this guidance because when I try myself, I freak out I, or I just don't do it. Or I just avoid it. I procrastinate. And I think 
that is such a common thing is that I work with so many women who have done so much reading. Like they know all about pain science. They know that it can be, it's emotional. They've linked that. And then they're like, yeah, well, I know it all, but it still hasn't helped. Well, yeah, because knowing is not the same as like doing and experiencing and, and like embodying it. Mm-hmm. And, and oftentimes it takes guidance to do that. And that is like humans need connection. Mm-hmm. Humans thrive on that. Like we have mirror neurons where we can like see someone else's nervous system and like mimic it back and everything like that. So it's like, that's not a point of pride to do it yourself. <laughs> Although I think a lot of women make it that right. Like, oh, I should be able to do it myself. And it's like, you know, in some ways, like you almost can't, that's not a, like nobody can mm-hmm. uh, do it themselves. Like we're not designed to do it themselves ourselves. So yeah, yeah, yeah for sure. So important. Um, I wasn't going to say something. You said something about mirror neurons a second ago. Oh, I think one of the things too, like, I think you're just the women that you're describing, like where they're well-read and all that stuff too. Um, I think one important thing I, I like to do too is there, there's, there's like two branches, like the, the people that are really excited about what we call the woo. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, and then there are the ones that are just like, uh, that sounds like, um, and I think that's part of why I, when I approach it, cause I'm someone naturally that if, if it feels like wooey, I'm like, Ooh, like mindfulness actually was really, really hard for me to get into in the beginning. Cause I'm like, what? The? <laughs> and, and I didn't want to. Um, but when I learned the science of it, then I started to be able to appreciate how I could address it in a way that fit me. Cause so a lot of the things that, that feel like, oh, I've tried the emotional work. I've tried, um, the, this or that can be adapted to better fit you appropriately because not just because it looks like, you know, someone owning for like, you know, two minutes straight doesn't mean that's how you have to approach it. Does. And if you tried it that way and didn't work for you, doesn't mean there's not a way to shift it so that it can work for you. Yes. And I think that individualization is so important. Like it is all about like what works for you and what works for your nervous system. And for some people, they might be meditating while they're walking, while they're moving. Other people might be the oming. Other people, it might be something else. And there's also different forms of meditation and I'll like cycle through different things. And um, yeah, when I first came across meditation, I also was very averse to it, even after I learned all the science. <laughs> and I would tell people to it and I wouldn't do it myself because I was like, I can't sit still for 30 seconds and not think of stuff. So I just automatically assumed I was like a failure and that I was doing it wrong. And, you know, once I learned that that's really not the case, what I tell people is like, if you can sit for like 10 minutes and not have a single thought, you probably don't need to be meditating. Cause like, Holy shit, like nobody can do that. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. like that's not the point yeah. at all. The point is like you're meditating be- because you're learning to quiet your mind. So every thought that comes is an opportunity to practice that. Mm-hmm. And, and like, if you had a thought and you're like, Oh, look, I just had a thought and you came back to your body. Like you have just done like one rep of meditation. Like, that's amazing. It's exactly what we wanted, like what we want. Yeah. Um, and the other piece I wanted to teach, just because we brought up meditation, was I also sometimes see people doing things correctly, quote unquote, 
and they're not getting quite the benefit out of it. And it's because it's not necessarily targeted to what they need or because people become so familiar with like one way of doing things that they stay in their comfort zone mm-hmm. only. And not that anything's wrong, like be in your comfort zone for, I mean, I think in a good portion of the day, you should probably be living in like a fairly comfortable zone. And in order to grow, you have to get out of your comfort zone. Yes. So I remember I had this client who she was like, oh, I meditate. She was a therapist herself. She meditates. She's like, I meditate for two hours a day, like one hour in the morning, one hour in the evening, which was like mind blowing to me. So I was like, damn, if I can make it 10 minutes, that's like amazing. So at first I was like, oh my gosh, I don't know what I'm going to do with her. You know what I mean? Like she's already done anything. And then it's like, the more I started talking to her, the more I realized her meditation was extremely dissociative. It was, she was spending the entire hour removing herself from her body and like kind of getting to this like bliss state, which I'm sure felt great <laughs> for that hour, but it was, it was one of like the most extreme form of like escape, escapism masked as, oh, I'm doing everything right. Mm-hmm. And it was just because there was so much discomfort in her own life and her, in the way she was living and her surroundings, there was massive amounts of trauma that like, those were the two hours of her day that she felt amazing because she was completely escaping it. Yep. rather than moving towards it. Yep. And not that that was wrong for her to be doing it. It's just going to be added in these tiny little, again, that 1%, how can we move towards these things that you're mm-hmm. trying to escape from? How can we look at them? How can we start to shift those? Um, so it was really, really fascinating because I didn't quite realize meditation could be like used. This was like it's probably one of my earlier clients. So I didn't even realize meditation could be used in that way. Um, So yeah, Yeah. it's just, it's it's like, is it working? Like, is whatever you're doing working? Is it helping you get towards the outcomes you want? Yeah, I I think I love that you brought that up because I feel like I have the exact same person. Maybe we saw the same person, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, um, I was like, wait, so what are we using meditation for? I, 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 and I I emphasize like two things here. One is whatever you're thinking about, if, so people are like, hey, meditation's not working. I'm like, okay, what are you doing in your meditation? And they're like, you know, I'm, I'm just like, my mind's drifting. And then I'm kind of upset about it. I'm like, then it's working because you're getting upset about it. <laughs> like whatever you think on, whatever you're meditating on, if you're, if it's, if look, what's getting more powerful, look what's growing, because that's essentially what your mind is dwelling on. Um, and if you want it to work, then you need to change up what you're meditating on. Um, and then number two is, um, what Andrew brought up with like moving towards things. And I, and I think that people, the most common mistake is either I avoid it or either I'm giving up, right? I think Andrew, you yes. probably write a lot about that. It's just, it's so common. Um, and my, my favorite way of, of thinking through it is I think from, from like a, a, th- a therapist, I was like looking at a YouTube on, but she's like, okay, so let's say you, let's say you, like maybe she didn't use poop. I'm gonna use poop because I love poop. <laughs> Um, so maybe you had like a ton of manure that was dumped in your driveway, like two tons of manure and it's sitting in your driveway. You have two things you can do. You can one, ignore it, just believe that's not there and just avoid it all day long, which works, but you can't get out of your house because it's blocking, you know, your car from getting out of the driveway. Um, and at some point in time, that thing, that crap is going to start to stink. (laughs) It probably does already because manure. So it's going to waft into your house and it's going to start affecting your daily life. Right. So it's not like those that that stink isn't actually being a part in your life. So now you have a choice. You either take it out or you continue to ignore it. 
And if you take it out, it's been sitting there so for so long and for a lot of crap that if you go out there, you probably faint. So what you need to do in order to take it out is to actually develop the skills, the equipment, like the hazard mat, suit, the gloves, whatever, the, the clothespin on the nose that you need in order to take it out. And eventually when you do, you can finally get out of your driveway and that crap isn't sitting there anymore. Um, but you wouldn't take it all out at once, right? It's, it's always that graded approach, that graded step. Neither of the two means you're giving up or, and oh wait, sorry, not either two, but just you're not giving up, right? You're just working at it in a slower paced way. And you have to move toward things because if you don't move toward it, then your brain never unlearns that thing as scary or whatever it was to you. Um, and I, and I, I think that that is more, that, that's probably the biggest message most people need to take away is that it's not avoiding and it's not giving up. It is actually growing through and moving past all those things. Yes. Oh my gosh. I love that analogy. That's like an amazing <laughs> analogy. That's such a good, such a good description <laughs> on so many levels. And yeah, so that's, that's such a good visual too. And, um, the other thing that I just want to acknowledge as well, since, you know, we both work with a lot of women with trauma is that oftentimes just being in your body feels very unsafe in the first place. So like, I don't start and like, I actually don't really, I'm not, I do mindfulness and somatic work in different ways. Like I'm never doing like the meditation of just like sitting there, not that it's wrong or not useful. I don't find it super helpful for a lot of my women when we're starting out, like that might be something they get to like, even like after our work together or like towards the end, but like that in itself might take a year to, to develop the, the safety to be just in your body. Cause that can feel so unsafe. And so a lot of times we just hear these things that we're like, okay, now I just need to be start doing that tomorrow. And it's like, no, no, no. Like you might need to be building up that muscle for months. Like it takes time for your nervous system to reprogram itself and to lay down wires and um, new neural pathways. Um, one of the, since you brought in that great analogy, I have to bring in this other one. I like <laughs> wrap up, sorry. I don't know if you've ever seen the video where the guy, this is like completely not pain or mental health related at all, but um, <laughs> the, the guy learns to like ride this backwards bike. Have you heard of this? No, I'm, I'll, I'll find it and I'll link it in the show notes. And if you, if you happen to know where that analogy is, oh, you described it perfectly. So I don't know if we need to link to it. But anyways, there's this video of this guy. I saw this like years ago. He designed this bike to, you know, right, right. You shift your handlebars left, your bike turns left, right? He made it. So when you turn your handlebars left, the front tire goes right. Hmm. Okay. So he's just backwards bike. And it, he, I, like got on it and just like immediately falls over. And it took him, I think eight months of like, I forget how much, five minutes, 20 minutes a day, something like that every single day to learn how to ride this bike. And I think so much of what you, what you talked about at the very beginning of is this de-education, right? Like Mm -hmm. his brain was programmed to ride a bike in a certain way, because those were the neural pathways that got laid down. So it took him months and months to unlearn those. And then he had to relearn new ones to be able to like ride it successfully. Then yeah. to actually be able to ride it and not just fall over after being on it for like 10 feet and stuff. And it's just that it takes this time. Nothing is wrong with you because it's taking you time when you're not immediately getting benefits. And I just thought that like example just illustrates it. And it's really yeah, fun to watch for sure, too because for sure. he falls over a lot. Um, <laughs> 
<laughs> but it's like, it just takes time. Your brain has always done something, especially with motor patterns. Cause they're just like really ingrained in there. It's gonna take time to unlearn them and then relearn new ones. So just giving yourself tons of space and compassion um, for all of that. Like you, if it's taking you time, it's because you have a normal, healthy human brain. So congratulations. <laughs> Truth. <laughs> yes. Um, all right. Tell us a little bit more about where people can find you and follow you if they want to learn more from you. Yeah. So I'm pretty active on Instagram. It's just dr.tawny.cross, K-R-O-S-S. And uh, my email or my, my, what's the word I'm looking for? Web address. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Brain blip. Um, drtawnycross.com. Um, and yeah, like I, that's usually, that's pretty where I'm active. Um, I was sharing with, with Andrea earlier that I, I take limited private clients, um, and I do have a, a course that came out last year and I'm relaunching again sometime early this, early this year, early next year. So yeah. <laughs> it'll, it'll, this will be out in January. So I know. <laughs> we're recording this in December, everyone. Yeah. <laughs> what, so tell us a little bit about your course. What's it? Yeah, I, I have to, one was actually developed because I, I teach a class at the VA that I, I work at. A lot of it is kind of pain sciencey stuff and, and breath work. Um, but I, have one that I'm actually working on right now. Um, it's called it's called a rewire series, um, where I pay, take people through like for the people that are, that still aren't like super heavy into wanting to have a coach with him, but want to have like some a graded process and um, over how to actually reteach and retrain the brain. I'm working on finishing it in the next couple of months. Hopefully yeah, I love that. So everyone can look out for those, and I love that just that the fact that like what the internet gives us is like the ability to have these online courses because it's, yeah, like you said, you only have so many hours in your day to take people. I only have so many hours and is your, so are yours like group or people taking it together? Or is it something self-paced? How is the, their first class was, is, is a, they're all self-paced, but they, mm -hmm. um, I did offer like a group coaching component to it for oh, those that awesome. wanted to, just because I do think that I, because I, I go through courses myself and if I don't have the accountability with other people in some shape or form, even if it's not one-on-one, -on -one, mm -hmm. it just makes it less likely that I'll do it well. I, oh my gosh, no, I so agree. So I think that's awesome that that's included. And that's such a great alternative. If your schedule is limited, you know what I mean? Like, or your funds are limited. Usually courses are like more affordable option and things like mm -hmm. that. And um, so that's amazing. Definitely check out her courses. And I also having my own course come up or going to be launching February 1st. That's, I don't have, I, I think I'm just going to call it unweaving chronic pain because I'm so not original. So we'll just keep it the same name, but it's really going to be focused. If you like know that, you know, especially when you're talking about that, like turning towards, if you're like, yeah, okay, I know I need to look at stuff, but holy shit, that gives me the heat. Please, anytime I've tried, like I've been to therapy and like, ugh, like it's really going to be focused on helping people learn how to do this embodiment work themselves slowly like giving tons of space and there's a very heavy group component so you'll have women you're doing this alongside like you're not going to be alone um, and you'll have my support and there's going to be like a one-on-one -on -one coaching option if that um if you already know that you need the extra support but um I'm super excited for it because I think if everyone had these, like literally, I think I'm like, anybody could take this course, whether or not you have chronic pain, although it is chronic pain <laughs> specific, but it's yeah. like, if you have these skills of learning how to manage your emotions, your triggers, 
like the world would be a different place because we would yeah. not all just react so emotionally and impulsively and reactively. But yeah, that's a, so that's a whole we could do a whole other podcast. We really could. I actually regulation. <laughs> yes, we'll have to have you back, Tony. Because um, we didn't even get into that side of things that much. But yes. super, super important. Um, so yes, definitely follow Tony. I'll include it in the show notes. And yes, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for having me. It's so much fun talking with you. Yes, you too. Bye. Bye.